Welcome to the Storytellers Lab podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie. And today we have a story from Bryn from Jackson, Mississippi. We're so you know the past few weeks we've actually had stories from our from our cities around the country, yes. and that's so exciting. It's nice to be back to that. Yes, and Bryn actually recorded her story on Zoom for the Jackson group, and so you'll hear her reference that throughout her story. I just absolutely loved Bryn's story because she just really takes it to being raw and real and vulnerable. Um, she gives so many details in her story that just let us know the the place of loneliness that she was coming from. I think a lot of us experience those moments of loneliness and feeling left out. I think a lot of you can relate to that. But um, but just it, it's exciting to hear her walk with God, mm, honestly, yes, through it and where she is today. I actually, after I heard her story, sent an email to the team leader in Jackson telling her, please tell Bryn thank you for sharing mm-hmm. her story because I know that she even says at the beginning that she that you know Satan was really fighting against her sharing it. So we hope that you enjoy Bryn's story and we hope that you take a moment to laugh some and learn. Here she is. It's 2021, and we know that so many of you are looking for a new Bible study for this season, whether it's by yourself or with friends, in a group, online, all the different options we have these days. And we have the perfect Bible study for you, and that is Discover Your Story. Discover Your Story is an eight-week Bible study where you go through eight of our podcasts. And so each week you listen to a podcast, then there is discussion questions, personal reflection questions, Bible verses, all that really show you how God uses someone else's story to relate to your life. And then on your own, you write your own story throughout the eight weeks. So you're not discussing your story every week as a group. You're actually discussing other people's stories. And then on the side, you're working on your own story. That's right. And if you've never led a study, here's the thing. You've got a facilitator's guide now available. (laughs) And so that facilitator's guide will walk you through each week exactly how to lead, questions you can ask, scriptures you can reference. So that's available for you as well. Both of these products are available on our website right now at storytellerslive.org. Go on the homepage and hit the shop button. Before today's episode, we want to tell you about our partnership with Never Thirst. Never Thirst is a ministry that brings clean and living water to unreached communities in Africa and Asia. That's right, Lindy and Robin, did you know that almost 800 million people still lack access to clean water today? And over 2,300 children die every day from waterborne diseases and poor sanitation. And one of the things that I like about Never Thirst is that they don't just go in, they actually partner with the local communities and pastors in the area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So join us in supporting Never Thirst. Go to neverthirstwater.org or follow their Instagram at neverthirstwater. Hey guys, my name is Bren. Thank you for being here today and listening. I'm alive today to tell this story because of God and God alone. It's a story about loneliness, about feeling left out, about wanting to feel a connection to something or somebody so badly. It's about the desperate attempts I made to try and have that connection. And it's also about what God has done in that process. And so to preface this, I would like to say that ever since I set the time with Kimberly for this recording to go, I told her that. I feel like the devil is just working overtime. I've been feeling all these feelings of of doubt, of unworthiness, of fear, anxiety. My depression has been like overwhelming today. 
in a way that I haven't felt in a really long time. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I think the devil hates when we open our mouths and tell other people what God has done for us. Um, He hates those messages of hope. He's pretty mad today. (laughs) So I'm pretty pumped to um, let him know that fear doesn't stand a chance right here and and God's got me. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I talked about that feeling of loneliness. I don't know if any of y'all have ever like gotten on Facebook and seeing a picture of a group of women and it's just like, OMG, this is my tribe, you know, and then you're just kind of sitting there and you're like, I don't have a tribe, <laughs> you know, like, where's my tribe? You're my kind of girl. I got you. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing. I remember this feeling from like a really young age. I'm talking like preschool, kindergarten. I just felt left out. I looked around at the other girls and they're all, you know, playing together and playing like house. I don't know what they were doing. And I felt very left out. And I felt like they had this like instruction manual on how to show up and and talk and be fun and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm over there just like, just crawling out of my skin. And that's a feeling that is just like followed me my whole life. And there's no reason for it. And so that was like what a lot of my childhood felt like. I kind of turned into a tomboy because I felt like I fit in with the boys better than the girls. But even then I didn't feel, you know, a strong connection. When I was a kid, I would kind of like live vicariously through like movies. Um, I would see these like friendships and movies or these love stories and just get so into that. I was like, that's cool. That's what I want. And so I would literally like try to make that happen in my life. <laughs> like I like would watch like the Goonies and then, um, I'd like tell all my friends like, oh, there's this hidden treasure, you guys. I know about it, heard about it on the streets of Alabama. And we just like go on this mission to go find this treasure, which is like cute if you're like seven. But I was like four. And this kind of continued and it got to like some weird places. It's embarrassing to look back on it now, but it's kind of funny, but maybe not. When I was like in high school, I saw that movie. Y'all know that movie, A Walk to Remember with Mandy Moore. So I was like, that is beautiful. That's a beautiful lot. He loves her so much. So I told my high school boyfriend I um, had this terminal illness. And uh, I don't know how much longer I had left to live. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's so stupid. And, you know, things got awkward when I didn't have any um, outward symptoms and when I stayed alive. So that relationship clearly had to uh, come to an end. But that's just, you know, it's funny to look back at, but like, that's just those feelings I had of like wanting to connect with something or somebody. There were some things in my childhood that happened that have affected my heart and the way I feel in life. I I felt left out at school, but I also felt left out at home. Um, I had two brothers, one was older and one was younger, and I had parents who loved me and, and provided for me financially. But it, we never had that relationship where like, you know, the girl crawls into dad's lap and he, you know, tells her she's beautiful. And we didn't really do emotions and, and those like tender moments. And on the other side of that, there was, there was sexual abuse from my older brother. And that's something that I, that I never talked about until um, about two years ago. For a good almost 30 years, I kept that secret. It was a secret that from a very early age, I felt very dirty. I felt different than everyone else more than I already did. And also, I felt 
so dirty that I couldn't be in God's group. I wasn't someone he looked down on and was like, oh, that's my daughter. Because who would want a daughter like that, that had done those things? Um, But anyways, as far as like my spiritual life, when I was young, you know, our family, we didn't go to church or anything. I think we went like once a year for Easter. and, And I knew my parents like believed in a God. I didn't grow up really with any knowledge of that. So anyways, they were real strict in high school and I had a bunch of rules. And then when I got to college is when I started drinking. And that, when I started drinking, guys, that connection I've been searching for all my life, I felt it. I felt it so much. It did something for me that is just almost, I felt prettier. I felt like I belonged anywhere and everywhere. I felt skinnier. I felt funnier. (laughs) The biggest delusion was I felt like I was a good dancer. Not true. But that's what alcohol did for me. And from then on, it was a huge part of my life. College is also where I kind of realized that even though I just started drinking, I realized I drank differently than other people. Joined a sorority. It wasn't like the most popular one on campus, but it was one. My mom wanted me to do that. And once again, that same feeling that I had, you know, like in preschool, kindergarten, I see this group of girls and they're not playing house and stuff anymore, but they're they're together and it's like they have a whole nother manual for how to show up and hang out together and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I just felt so left out. I thought that being in the same sorority made me like automatically fit in, but that's not true. And this is where I realized that I drink differently from other people because while they're all downstairs, you know, eating dinner before they go out and stuff, I'm upstairs and I'm getting lit. You know what I mean? Like I'm up there taking shots and drinking. I'm, you know, all this stuff just so I can feel right to even go out. I had to do that to be okay with myself. That just kind of continued throughout college and school became less important. A lot of things started getting in my way, things that were important to me. And anything that got in the way of me and alcohol just had to, I just had to push aside. And I made a lot of mistakes in college. And that's, that's my college story, basically, except for I did transfer, I transferred from Ole Miss to a small Christian college in Jackson, Mississippi, because I had just gotten in too much. I was in too deep drinking um, in Oxford. And my parents thought that would be a good idea. And I will say this was a really transformative experience in my life because I met people there at Mississippi College that showed me who God was for like the first time in my life. And I credit them a lot to giving me sort of like a foundational knowledge that there was a God out there and he did care about me, even though I had a really imperfect life full of a lot of bad decisions. I started dating a guy in college that I just fell so in love with. And he was a strong Christian man and he had a great Christian family. And I remember going to stay with his dad was a pastor. And I remember going to stay with them for a weekend or something. And his dad let me ask him all these questions I had about Christianity. I mean, I was just like this baby Christian. And I was so curious. And I saw the way they loved God and the way God loved them. And I wanted that very bad. And so I had that relationship for a little over a year. and. 
it was incredible guys. Like I, we went to church together and, and we prayed together and it was one of the best years of my life. Unfortunately, that relationship ended and I, I was so heartbroken and I was so angry at God because he said that he couldn't, he felt like God didn't want him in that relationship. I can't remember how he worded it, but I had something to do with God. And I was so mad. I was mad at him. I was mad at God. I was mad at everybody. And it broke my heart and I went straight back to drinking. And it got pretty out of hand after that. So, you know, my last year's year and a half at Mississippi College was full of drinking and, and smoking weed and a lot of a lot of bad behavior. I was just sort of rebelling against everything. I got out of college and I immediately got pregnant. And I it wasn't quite an accident. I remember feeling that loneliness, feeling that, you know, lack of direction. And I was having unsafe sex with, with my boyfriend, knowing that there's a possibility that, you know, a baby could happen from this. But it, I was just in a, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I think subconsciously, I felt like this would fix me. And so Jax was born. And the pregnancy sucked for me. I was depressed the whole time. I wasn't glowing when I had Jax. I, I was excited, but it's not, it was different. You know, it, it was different than I see how other people experience it. It's hard to explain. I loved, I loved him very much, but something in me just didn't feel quite right. The first few years of, of his life, I was a good mom, but I was an irresponsible mom. I leaned on my parents a lot for help when, if I wanted to like go out, you know, do this or that, it was, he wasn't my priority like he should have been. And I look back now and it just makes me kind of sad. So anyways, the drinking got real, real bad when Jax was um, about four or five. And that's when I went to treatment for the first time. And I went away for 60 days and that's when I learned about Alcoholics Anonymous and what we call the big book. The big book is what we use and it. That's where it has, you know, all the 12 steps and the solutions and stuff like that. I got a good foundational knowledge of what it meant to be an alcoholic. My whole life, even though my dad was an alcoholic, we never really saw that. It was very like behind closed doors kind of stuff. When I thought of an alcoholic, I thought of just like, a jerk who just won't stop drinking. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it, it didn't really, it seemed like a moral failure. And when I really got into it and, and read this book, the way that it described alcoholism, it was like for the first time in my life, I realized that this isn't me like making this choice over and over again to do this. There's this page in the book that talks about like the mental obsession because I'm not an alcoholic because alcohol just tastes better to me than it does to other people. I'm not an alcoholic because of like the amount I drink. The thing that makes me an alcoholic is first of all, the way it affects my brain. Like I'm wired differently and it affects me differently. And I'm an alcoholic because I've lost the power of choice and drink. My so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. I'm unable at certain times to bring in, bring into consciousness the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. What I learned about alcoholism was that no amount of like willpower, of knowledge about myself, of self-help books, of therapists, nothing would help me here. And the only solution here was God. 
I didn't realize how much the 12 steps and how much Alcoholics Anonymous had to do with God. And that was the really cool part about it. These 12 steps, you know, you see them on the wall in the background of like a TV show where someone's given their sob story in an AA meeting, which by the way, is not what it's like. And you just feel like it's just this little like self-help guide, but it's not. It's literally a way to grow and maintain a relationship with God. And it's taught me more than, and no offense to churches, than churches ever has. It's taught me more than a Bible study ever has. And I'm not saying anything against those things. I'm saying there's so much power in the 12 steps when it comes to a relationship with God. And so I went to that treatment center, learned about this stuff, got out, and I stayed sober for two and a half years. And those two and a half years were the best two and a half years of my life. I had a real relationship with my son, Jax. I was okay with myself again. I didn't quite love myself, but I was okay. And it was incredible. And I have all these amazing memories with him. And I was a great mom. It was a really, really good mom. But I lost that connection with God. And before I knew it, I met a guy. He was an ex-heroin addict. And he was in recovery as well. And I decided it'd be a good idea for us to get in a relationship. And that is where everything went really dark. Even though he was in recovery, he relapsed right after we got together. And my thing, one of, like, one of my go-to things to feel a connection with someone else is especially to get high or drunk with a guy. It's something, it's dangerous, it's fun, it's risky, like all this kind of stuff that I'm, I'm very attracted to. And so before I knew it, I'm no longer just an alcoholic. I'm shooting heroin in my bathroom with a guy and my son is in his room. And you guys, a few months before this, I'm completely sober on the sidelines of a soccer field cheering for my son. That's how insane this is. I look back and I'm just like, what? You know, it makes no sense to me, but that's how powerful this disease is. And that's what it did to me. All of a sudden, this insane idea of maybe this sounds like a good idea, that idea won out. And before I knew it, I was trapped in this drug addiction that I never saw coming. Before then, before this guy you said something about heroin. I had no idea. I didn't even know what it looked like. I didn't know if it was like a liquid, if it was like a powder. I had no clue. And next thing I know, I'm doing that in my bathroom. And I won't get into a lot of details, but I will say that it got really dark. My son never saw any alcohol or drug. He never saw me like passed out on the couch or any of that. Thank God. Like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for protecting my son during those times, because there's a, there's a lot of times where I drove him under the influence because when I was drinking, I would start early. First thing I did in the morning before I even took him to school was start drinking. It's hard to look back at, but I know God was protecting my boy and I'm so grateful for that. Sorry. (laughs) But anyways, things got really dark. I did things I never thought I would do. Although my son never saw me, you know, with a needle in my arm or anything like that. He knew that mommy was taking a lot more naps, that dinner became more of like an option than, than something that was supposed to happen every night. I was always against him having a cell phone until eighth grade. It's this thing called pledge till eighth. But all of a sudden I decided if I'm going to go get more drugs, I need him to be able to communicate with me unless if there's an emergency. So I got him a little like 
burner phone for when I would leave the house late at night to quote unquote, go to the grocery store. But it was really to go meet up with a drug dealer to get some more drugs. And I remember driving back to the house after I'd gotten my drugs and just praying that like I wouldn't see like police lights or something like that at my apartment building because something had happened to Jax. And that's how powerful this stuff is. I love my son so much, but these are the things I would, I would do to, um, to be able to get high. Luckily, it got to a point where I, things got so low that I, um, I finally reached out to my parents. Um, I decided to stop doing the, the drugs. And I started detoxing at home on my own. And I, um, I felt so sick. I couldn't pick Jax up from school that day. So I asked my dad to. And that's when I had to admit that I'm, I'm detoxing. And um, we're an alcohol family. So when he asked me, what are you detoxing from? I couldn't say the H word. I couldn't say heroin. I just said opiates. And um, before I knew it, my little brother was at, at my house with the paramedics and um, I felt so much shame at the condition of my apartment and the condition of me. And um, within the next few days, I was sent to a 90-day treatment center in Austin, Texas. And everything in me wanted to say no because that's too long. I didn't want to be away from Jax that long. As many mistakes as I was making, he's still just the love of my life and just my everything, even though my actions say otherwise. But luckily, I did um, agree to go because that changed my entire life. The things I learned there, the things I learned about God and the healing that happened. I had all these wounds in me from a very young age. And just because a lot of years had passed didn't mean that like time healed those. I had to look at a lot of pain that was deep down around my brother, around just the feeling of being left out, around like my depression, all of that. There was a lot of wounds and until I could heal those a little bit, I was going to be sick. I also realized that I had the wrong idea about God. And this is where my relationship with him really developed. I thought that I thought he was just really disappointed in me. And I thought just like everyone else, I felt like he had like his favorite, you know, and kind of like his in crowd. And I never felt like I fit in God's clique. Um, I felt like that click was reserved for the normal people with the normal lives and the normal families and the moms who go to the PTA meetings and, you know, the women with their tribes. <laughs> and I felt left out even when it came to God. And by doing all this, by doing all this work, which was, it was a lot of work. I realized that he loves me just as much as everybody else, that I am a favorite and that he's the only way I'm going to be able to get through this. I know a lot of people say, like, God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't necessarily agree with it. I feel like God had to give me more than I could handle so that I could lean on him. Because when it comes to me, if I can handle it on my own, I'm going to handle it on my own. Like, why would I reach out for anything if I've got this handled? He gave me too much to the point where he was just like, here, I'm here. I got you. You know, it took that for me to, uh, to reach out to him the way my life is today, guys, it's, I'm still kind of in it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I just got a little over a year and a half sober. Um, it's been a, it's been a long journey. 
there's been moments where, you know, I, I still struggle with anxiety and depression. Um, but I don't feel alone in that struggle anymore. I also feel this sense of, I feel a sense of belonging, but it's like, I belong like to myself. And I know this sounds weird. I can't really think of a good way to put it, but I feel okay with myself again before it was like everything in life felt like too much. It felt impossible to show up. Even if it was just kids' birthday parties were like the bane of my existence. The thought of having to show up at a freaking party place with the bouncy things or someone's house and having to be around other moms. I hated it. Like, and it wasn't because of anyone else. It was because I was so uncomfortable with myself. Everything felt like a lot of pressure. Answering the phone from one of, you know, my good friends felt like too much pressure. And it doesn't really make sense to a person who doesn't feel that because they're like, what's the big deal? But I know there's someone out there listening that feels that pressure too. And I need you to know you're not alone in that. And it's not stupid. And that I totally get it. And I can also tell you there's hope there because I can answer the phone today. I can have conversations. Um, I work with a lot of women today and I don't feel that overwhelming pressure. I feel God with me and I feel useful and I feel good about myself and I feel loved. And it's not because of like a bunch of circumstances that make me feel that way. It's something inside that doesn't go away based on like what's happening in life, which is a really cool thing. And my life today is I'm, I'm not living in my will. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And for the first time in my life, I feel like me and God have like this communication going on to where I know what he wants me to do. I don't hear like his voice raging inside of me where it's some people are like, I heard him so clearly say, you know, it's, I don't hear any of that. It's like more of like this gut feeling that I can trust. And that's what I do. That's how I live my life today. You know, I wake up every day. I'm still I still work these 12 steps. They're incorporated in my life and God is involved in all of those steps. And like I said, I work with other women and I'm able to spread the message God wants me to spread. I think that he created me for a reason. And I've always had a big heart for the broken people because I've been broken for a really long time. And for the first time in my life, I don't feel that way anymore. And I never thought it's like I couldn't picture my life with alcohol, but I also couldn't picture it without alcohol. I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I tried a couple of times to not be alive anymore. And I've been at the darkest of dark. And that's not my life today. And it's not because I'm the exception. It's not because it's just like this rare, weird story. Like, oh, cool. It's that can happen to anybody. The hope that was given to me and the gift that was given to me and the relationship I have with God is something anyone can have. That sounds a little braggy. It's like, you want what I got? No, like not like that. I'm just saying if you've never felt that connection, it's possible. And it's a really cool connection. And what's cool is like I don't have to, I used to think that I had to be perfect. I had to, you know, be this or that for him to listen to me or like me or love me. But that's not the case, you know. I um I am still a work in progress. There are decisions that I still make today that aren't very biblical. I don't know. I mean, I'm not drinking and using drugs, but like, I can't quote scripture still, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not that girl yet. I don't really know how to explain it. 
But if basically, if you're not a perfect person and you feel like you need to be for God to love you like you or talk to you, it's not true. I have the strongest relationship with him that I've ever had. And and I don't know a lot of Bible verses. <laughs> I'll get there, guys. I'll get there. What I do know today is he loves me and that's all that matters. And I'm going to keep going on this journey. You know, there's things in my life that have happened in the past week. I don't know if it's coincidence or just since we've scheduled this thing that have really um, turned a lot of things upside down for me. And what I don't have to do is use drugs or alcohol or men to fill that void. God's filling that void every single day. And it's just it's the best feeling in the world. And I look forward to the rest of my life of, of helping other women and being the mom that my son has always deserved um, because he's the coolest kid in the world, I swear. And I get to show up for him in a way that, that he deserves. I thank you guys for being here. My story is there's a lot to it, but I hope that one person got something in there that they needed to hear. I needed to know that I wasn't the only one that felt the way I felt. I needed to know that to be okay. And that's what I'm here for. And that's my mission. I finally have a purpose. And I hope you got something out of it. And I'm here for anyone, anytime someone needs to reach out. That's what I'm here for. Thanks, guys. Yes, Bren, you do have a purpose. Wow. Her story to me was just one of my favorites because it was so real. I love I love some realness. I love some rawness <laughs> and vulnerability. And and she is living out her purpose right now. So proud of her. I know. You know, she, oh gosh, I don't even know. There's so many things she talks about. <laughs> but I think overall is that she talks about it. Yeah. You know, yes. she says what's on her mind. She said, Katie, you referenced this in the beginning. She says what we've all thought at some point mm-hmm. in time. And I don't know that we've ever had a storyteller be more honest and it's so relatable because yeah. we we identify with all of it. And again, it goes back all the time. We realize we're not yeah. alone. You realize you're not alone in yeah. your thoughts. And the, while her story may not be your story, her thoughts are probably yeah. your thoughts at some we've, point in We've time. all felt like, I know I've disappointed God. I know mm-hmm. I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. I feel alone. And and she just basically laid out the gospel at the end mm-hmm. because that void, he is filling a void. And that is the Holy Spirit. And that is Christ. Mm-hmm. I also liked how she walked us through how she became an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and then a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And it all stemmed from those moments of loneliness. And I want to feel like I belong. And and alcohol gave her that feeling Mm -hmm. of belonging and and how it started there. And then just bless her because I just listening to her struggle of just like, then she, you know, she got sober and she was doing great and she was being a great mom. And and then she just met the wrong person, you know, and fell back into that people pleasing. And and I want to feel like I belong and Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump back in. And again, like I just said a second ago, I'm just so proud of her for just you know, being willing to share her story, those struggles with us. I mean, even, you know, the things that she said she did in high school that most of us would have just kept quiet, you know, as far as saying, you know, how we got to where we were, we just leave that part out. And don't we all want to feel like we belong? Yes. And all of us make choices on every level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Choosing things that are are not in our best interest, are not yes. things that allow us to walk with the Lord. I mean, it doesn't have to be alcoholism. No. It doesn't have right. to be drugs. Right. I mean, it's just 
tiny things that separate us from the purpose and the plan that God yeah. has for us. Yeah. I mean, we could just hop into some good old gossip because we want yes. to be able to, you know, feel like right. we belong. And it's stories like this. It's why it's why our stories are important. It's mm-hmm. why sharing your story is important. You know, somebody could step back and have watched Bren's life and had a complete thought one way about her. And she shares her story and she's so open with her struggles. And you see it so completely different. Mm-hmm. And that's just the beauty of stories. The she said it at the sharing. She said it at the beginning. The devil hates when we tell yes. what God has done. Yes. I was like, come on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> One other takeaway from her story that I hope that you as a listener heard was that God does not have favorites. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a lie that I believed a large part of my life, especially in my teens and 20s. I thought, you know, I'm just not good enough for God. And I've done too much to probably disappoint him. And I'm never going to be one of his favorites. I mean, he likes her better than me, or he likes, you know, and he's blessing them more because they're one of his favorites. Mm -hmm. And it's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. We are all his favorites. We are all his creation. Every single one of us is unique and special. And I want someone out there to hear that. You're his favorite. Yes. yes. Even if you don't know the Bible verses. That's Absolutely. right. They don't have to be memorized. We I was like, to oh, be memor- Bren, yeah. yes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and I want to encourage you, our listeners, if you by chance are struggling over alcohol or any substance, or if you have someone in your family that is or someone close to you, I encourage you to step up and get involved have a conversation with someone, reach out to us. We would love to put you in touch with someone to help you. Um, There is help and there is hope. Mm -hmm. And our prayer in sharing these stories is that that you would find help or or hope. And we ask often for you to share our stories. And this is one of those that I think is so relatable. Text this to a friend, share it with a friend, a family member. If God's putting it on your heart that somebody needs to hear this, be be brave and share it. That's that's where the hope comes and that's where the breakthrough comes. Mm-hmm. So again, thank you to Bren for sharing her story with us and being so raw and real. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>